0: I would find a hole within the fragile substance of my soul. And I have filled this void with things unreal. And all the while, my character it steals. Say that's exactly how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with the restart. Oh, uh, it's in your bulletin, but this is when Jesus and what he is pursuing. Collides with Zacchaeus and what he's pursuing So why don't you stand up and we'll see what happens next After these two men Run into each other This is Luke chapter 19 1-10 through 10, and this is the word of the Lord He, Jesus, entered Jericho And was passing through And behold, there's a man named Zacchaeus He was a chief tax collector He was rich And he was seeking to see who Jesus was But On account of the crowd, he couldn't, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, when the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray to this one who came to seek and save. Jesus, you are beautiful. Father, Holy Spirit, you are beautiful. You are the most beautiful being, the most beautiful thing in all the universe. But what is beauty if it can't be seen? And so we pray tonight that you would come, that you would do the very thing you say repeatedly you love to do, which is to give eyes to blind people, ears to deaf people, Hearts of flesh to people with hearts that don't feel or don't move or don't work right. And so of all the people we need here tonight, you are the one whose presence is make or break. And so I ask you to please come, teach us through your word and show us how you seek us the way you sought. Zacharias, we ask this uh, in your name. Amen. April 15th is next week. I have been spending all of my nights curled up with TurboTax on my couch. And uh, I know a lot of you don't do your taxes yet. You're, like, a dependent on your parents' uh, plan. But some of you do. And you know how TurboTax is, like, the world's worst video game. <laughs> because you start with this big green number in the upper left-hand corner. And it starts at, like, 2,000 bucks or something. Or maybe for y'all, a few hundred bucks. And it's, like, every question you answer, every document you upload, the number goes, Bruh. It's, like, do you have a dog? Yes. Bruh. Do you have a wife? Yes. Bruh. Do you have a full-time job? Yes. And eventually, that big green number that's like, refund, 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 becomes red. And then that red number becomes bigger. <laughs> and it begins to tell you how much money you owe. And you thought, like I've, I've had these conversations with a few you thought you were going to get a couple hundred bucks back, you were banking on it, you were making decisions on it, and then you found out, oh my gosh, I didn't... My parents didn't, or they claimed me as a dependent or something else, and you're like, ugh, I don't get any of the money back. Now, here's the thing. That might be hard for some of you to relate to, but what if this happened? What if New Mexico State University deputized one of you, one of your fellow students, and they said to you, said to this guy, hey, you have all authority and all power and free reign to be the student fee collector, you get to go anywhere on campus. All of the students owe this much money for these different fees. And to make the job attractive to you, the way we're going to compensate you is, uh, OK, let's say there's a $100 technology fee. Hey, if you want to take 200 or 300 you keep the leftover as long as we get our 100 bucks. And you are rubbing shoulders with these people every day. You pass them on iMall. They say, hey, Stuart, technology fee, $400. And you either pay the money, or you get expelled from the university. And if you get expelled from the university, no degree, no job, no access to what you wanted to do. What would you do to those people if your fellow students pulled out from among you, were given that authority, that power, and they could take whatever they wanted, give 100 bucks to the university, and keep the rest? What would the campus do? This place would look like France and one of their like 50 riots every year that they have. You'd be flipping over cars, burning them, like picketing everywhere. But it would there would be a revolution because you would hate those students who every dollar they took from you was a dollar you worked for. So they're literally taking it from your back pocket and using it for themselves. And so it's like you're having to move out of your crappy apartment into an even worse apartment and they're getting into a better apartment You're having to sell your car because you can't afford to make the payments on anymore, and they're getting a better car. You're going to McDonald's more and more, and they're going out to Lorenzo's or somewhere more and more. And you're like, what? What's going on here? And they'd be hated people. So that's who Zacchaeus is. That's who Zacchaeus is. He's the tax collector. He's the IRS agent. He's the shady guy. He's the campus fee collector. But here's my question. What would it take you to ever accept a job like that? Because you know, if I take this job, yeah, I'm going to have a lot of money, but I'm not going to have any friends. Everybody's going to hate me. Everyone's going to be talking about me. I'm going to be the talk of the campus, but it's going to be for bad. No one's going to want to be friends with me. Would you take the job? Now, Tax collectors in Jesus' day, they didn't just get the job easily either. This was a job for special people. What I mean by that is people who were willing to not have any friends, willing to turn their back on their families, willing to turn their back on their country, on their God. That's a special kind of person, right? And if we're ever going to get to that point, the question becomes, do you love the money enough to take the job? Do you love the money enough to burn bridges with your neighbors, burn bridges with God, burn bridges with your country, or do you value those things more? Zacchaeus is a guy who clearly loved money. He fell in love not just with money. We never just fall in love with money. We fall in love with what money can do for us. We fall in love with the power that it gives us, the agility to be able to say, I want it, I'm going to have it. Or the power to not have... It just insulates you from some of the stresses of life. You don't have to live paycheck to paycheck anymore. You don't have to worry about, when am I ever going to pay these student loans back? You don't have to worry about, is the car going to break down? I'm not going to have money to pay for it. Money insulates you from that stuff. Zacchaeus fell in love with that kind of security, that kind of comfort, that kind of power, that kind of status. And he loved it so much. He loved it more than people. He loved it more than God. Now, here's the thing. I've yet to have a one-on-one with any of you guys where you told me, you know, Ben, I'm really struggling with this career decision, but I'm thinking about coming, becoming a corrupt IRS agent. What do you think I should do? Because it's either that or finance. <laughs> Nobody thinks that way. Uh, but here's a guy who had given himself to that kind of stuff. So the question is, where's our connection point? Because if this is about IRS agents and money management, then yeah, maybe it's time to close up shop and leave the room. Here's the thing, though. We've said this before as we look at these different close encounters through the Gospel of Luke. The DNA of what was going on in Zacchaeus' heart is a perfect match of the DNA, the sin that's going on in our heart, right? The stuff that makes us insane. The stuff that makes us like moths that love light, but they mistake it for the bug zapper. And they're just like, whew, snap. And so we have the exact same things in our heart that Zacchaeus had in his heart. And so maybe it wouldn't be money that would make you want to take a job like that and burn bridges. What if it's, I don't know, something like acceptance or approval? You've heard these things a lot. We've talked this semester. What if you you loved kind of other people validating you with their glance across the room, with their questions, with them wanting to hang out with you? They validated you and you loved it. Or what about people who threaten your value? threaten your status in the group they have to be neutralized right they have to be neutralized and so you can either like if you want to be friends with person A you gossip about person B, C, and D or if you want to be persons with, uh, friends with person A you ignore persons B, C, and D you have to neutralize you have to cut the legs out from under them so that they no longer threaten what you love that's why we gossip we love ourselves and we'll do anything to get that even burn bridges with other people just like Zac- Zacchaeus burned bridges. And we'll burn bridges with God to cut other people down. Maybe one that, maybe one that fits you better is comfort. This is one I'm a little more familiar with. You love, we love comfort so much. Good things, like a little escape, a little 30-minute or hour escape on Netflix to kind of decompress and just enjoy creativity, enjoy art, becomes a life-dominating escapism where... If Netflix was a person, you'd be best friends. The problem is it's you know, ones and zeros popping up on a screen. And so there's your closest relationship in life is with ones and zeros, computer programs, video games, whatever else. And it's like something that was good became something that you were willing to compromise to get. You were willing to burn bridges with other people. This is the reason we hook up. It's the reason we look at porn. It's the reason we masturbate. It's the reason we do all those things because it's more comfortable to have an easy relationship. And so I can just go look at this online instead of actually having to work to love another real person who's more than just a body but needs things from me, needs sacrifice from me. No thanks. I want comfortable. And so I will burn bridges with people and burn bridges with God in a sense to get at this stuff just like Zacchaeus. So it's kind of like name your price and you and I will take the job. It's just if it's the right currency. Again, it might not be money. It's one of these other things. We all have it. We all probably have a lot of them, and they're really complicated to get at and to figure out. What is it that would make me take the job? If someone said, everybody would love you, would you take the job? If somebody said, you would have comfort forever, would you be willing, in a sense, to screw over everybody on campus? I think at some level, if we could get at what we most loved, we would take the job we would give in to that kind of stuff. Here's the thing. I've been talking about this burning bridges stuff a lot. You know, I think every single war I've ever read about, from the beginning of time, I'm talking ancient stuff all the way up until Afghanistan and, you know, stuff going on right now we don't know about. The first thing that a military will attack or bomb are the bridges. Why? The bridges go first. And then there's time for everything else. They get the bridges first. Because when you cut off a city from, its, from the outside world, when you cut a city off by destroying the bridges, burning the bridges, nothing gets in, nothing gets out. And so if you want to, and there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of cool battles in the Bible where this is what they did. They laid siege to a town. They cut off their water supply. They surrounded it. They just hung out for two or three years. That's how you did battle back then. We'll wait it out. They'll starve to death. Or they'll come out with white flags in their hands over their head. Because when you burn the bridges or you cut off the access points, the the people in the city become isolated. They starve. They stagnate. They die. Life drains out. Sin does the exact same thing with human beings. It, It collides into us, and the very first things it cuts off is all the bridges to God and all the bridges to everybody else on earth. And what we are left with is we are left in an isolated little island where we might feel fine right now. Maybe, maybe your life's not to a point yet where you've realized you're running low on resources. Maybe your life is at a place, by God's mercy, where you're realizing you're at the end of your rope. You're running low on resources. And you're beginning to realize there's no nourishment, no life coming in anymore. The bridges are gone There's distance between me and everybody. There's tension in all my relationships. There's alienation between me and God even. Why? Are there bridges there? Or has sin, in a sense, as it conquers a person, has it busted up all the bridges? And so nothing gets in, nothing gets out. What a picture of Zacchaeus. What a living, breathing picture. 50-year-old, 45-year-old, whatever. Your old picture of a man cut off. Bridges burned between God and between everybody else. So this is Zacchaeus. This is us in a sense. However, if you've been looking at your passage, the question you should be asking is why has Ben talking about this? Because Luke doesn't talk about this. Luke's, Luke's wanting us to infer and to gather from everything else he's been saying about tax collectors through the whole story. Remember when chapter 19 here. Luke's wanting you to kind of see between the lines and to get, oh, I get it, a tax collector, a person cut off. But Luke doesn't focus on Zacchaeus' sin. Luke doesn't, and Jesus doesn't either. Luke doesn't have this, hey, let me tell you what's going on in Zacchaeus's heart. He's a man who loved money. Luke's a little more playful than that. He says, hey, the chief tax collector, the guy has worked his way to the top. And he says he's really rich. And obviously the crowd hated the man because they were angry that Jesus would even give him the time of day. That's how I'm getting the stuff we've already talked about. But Jesus doesn't focus on that and neither does Luke. Why not? Because Luke is picking up the story with Zacchaeus after all the bridges have already been burned. It's smoldering. He's not, Luke's describing the way he saw, found the scene. When he arrives on the scene, there's just smoke rising up from the landscape of this guy's life. The question Luke is wrestling with is, is a question that I, I, we've said a lot of times over the past year. This is one of the biggest questions that you will have to wrestle with in your lifetime or anybody else on planet Earth. It's this question. This is what Luke's wrestling with. All right? When God sees the landscape of your life in tatters, smoke rising, everything destroyed, bridges cut off, what does he do? That's a much more profitable and fruitful question than all of the things that a lot of us stay up on the porch until 3 in the morning. Questions that are like, where did evil come from? If you bark up that tree, you're going to be barking a long time with with, with not too many clear answers. There's answers. But I would suggest to you maybe a better tree to bark up is what does God do when he sees you the way you are? The Bible is written as the answer to that question. This passage is written as the answer to that question. If you're a Christian, you can't tune out and say, okay, this is good. Ben's talking to the people who don't know Jesus. No, no. Luke's writing to a Christian, Theophilus, that he might have certainty in what he has already heard. He's not talking to someone who has no idea about any of these stuff. He's talking about you kind of people if you've been around the church. And if you've not been around the church, he's talking to you. So the kind of people Luke's talking about, and he's talking about, he's giving an answer to the question, what's God do when he sees all the bridges cut off? And Luke's answer to the question is God, when he sees your bridges burn and when he sees the matches in your hand and the can of gas in your hand, he starts building bridges. When he sees all the bridges cut down in your life, all the bridges that you and I have burned, either purposefully or unwittingly, He starts building bridges back to us. How does this begin to happen in Zacchaeus' life is an important question. And what does it look like for God to begin rebuilding bridges in our lives? What does it look like on day-to-day life? What's it going to look like tomorrow for you to be like, okay, this is God rebuilding bridges into my life? One of the ways he does it is what Zacchaeus seeks Begins to change radically. Kind of out of nowhere. He's kind of up a tree just trying to be a crowd and see Jesus. And all of a sudden, things change for him. But what he's seeking after uh, begins to change. One month, he's seeking after the stuff we started talking about. Money, comfort, security, whatever. At any expense, I want that. And now, Luke uses the same word he's using, the same language. He's saying, now Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus. Seeking to see Jesus. This word that Luke's using, seek, it's the same word he uses that Jesus uses when he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. When he says the Son of Man came to to seek and search out for the lost. Anytime Jesus is saying, seek after me. That's the same word Luke's using here when he says Zacchaeus is seeking after Jesus. And Jesus is seeking after Zacchaeus. It's not this casual, I'm seeking a place to eat lunch today. Is it going to be Jimmy John's or DG's? It's not this casual, "Mm, I'm asking a question. When he means seek, he means chasing after, hunting for, hunting down, like chasing and tackling. That's what he means by seek. And what I'm saying is Zacchaeus says what he was seeking after, chasing, hunting, what was animating him began to change when he sees Jesus. And this guy, this dignified bureaucrat, starts doing crazy things that little snot-nosed five-year-olds do. He's starting to climb trees so that he can see Jesus because he's a tiny little guy. And he's starting to, like, run up to the front of the crowd because he's trying to see Jesus. When I was in college, George W. Bush came to town, and I love this kind of stuff. I love the motorcades and everything. Sometimes I have to confess I watch YouTube videos of this weird stuff. But <laughs> I, uh, he came to my town, and I heard on the radio where he was going to be, so I went to the, the hotel complex where he was giving a speech, and um, I'm, like, looking at all the exits, and I would had some internships in Homeland Security kind of stuff, so I'm, like, analyzing, them. I'm, like, okay, the Secret Service, they won't go that way because it leads to side roads, and he could get trapped over there. He's going to take this way out because it's right by the interstate, a quick exit. So all of these other crowds are over by the other exits, and then me and one other guy are on the back exit that goes straight to the interstate. So I just camp out there, and I'm, like, maybe he'll drive by. Um, and so I go stand there for like an hour and all of a sudden I hear like 50 motorcycles with their lights on and everything and a bunch of cop cars and ambulances and everything. And then two limousines come by and he waved at me, everybody. It was awesome. <laughs> he saw me cause I was the only one there and he waved at me. Um, and I was just like, That's not a political statement. I'm just saying it's the President of the United States. I was like, I was proximate. I was close to glory in a sense. The closest I'll ever get to anyone that important. But I wanted to see him. And so I analyzed the situation. I'm like, where do I need to be to cross paths with him? And that's the kind of stuff that uh, Zacchaeus is doing here. Why is the question that should bother you right now? How did this corrupt, shady dude get to a point where he's got to see Jesus. I think, actually, I don't think. I'm almost positive. The reason why is, you know the stories we've already been talking about all semester? About Jesus and the prostitute, about Jesus and the dead people, Jesus and the lame people, Jesus and the tax collectors. Hey, word travels fast. This guy, just living his ordinary life, walking through campus every day, starts to hear stories at the food court, starts to hear stories with his roommates or whatever. This Jesus, they say he's a drunk and they say he hangs out with tax collectors. This Jesus, they say he's a friend of sinners. They said that this guy went and had dinner with a bunch of my buddy tax collectors from the next town over. And Zacchaeus is beginning to say, what? This guy's a rabbi, he's a teacher, and he's having to go all the way back to the drawing board on who Jesus is. It's a quick application point. We've got to go back to the drawing board. That's the whole point of the sermon series this semester. Will you go back to the drawing board and let Jesus tell you who he is? Zacchaeus is intrigued. He begins to hear the way that Jesus really is, and he's like, he's coming this way. I'm going to be over there. Maybe he'll see me. I don't know if he wanted to get seen or not. Maybe he was trying to hide back in the tree or something, but the point is Zacchaeus had begun to hear these stories. Luke 18, when Jesus tells the story, a Pharisee and a tax collector, they go to the temple and they pray. And the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like this shady weirdo. And the, and the tax collector says, he wouldn't even look to heaven. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus delivers the punchline and everybody shuts up because they can't believe. It. And he says, guess who went home justified? The guy in church every week or the guy stealing money from the people in church every week? And he says the mark that, that he went home justified is he wouldn't look to heaven. And he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this guy probably heard of that. And he heard Luke 7. They call Jesus this, this friend of, of tax collectors and stuff. And so he's beginning to connect dots and say, I got to get in front of this guy. And he begins to, to realize that the God who is, the only God who is, is a God Who looks at bridge burners and spiritual arsonists with matches in our hands and he starts building bridges back to them. The very bridges we burn down still, even after we rebuild them, we get these insane little streaks because sin is insanity, right? We get these insane little streaks. Hey, I want to vandalize this thing. I want to go burn it down again. And we do. And, and Zacchaeus is beginning to, to question, maybe, just maybe, this is a God who builds bridges back where I repeatedly burn them down uh, for a guy like him. Now, this can be really hard to see <sighs> because I know all of you are like me, and you've got friends like me, and we, you're somewhere along the process of seeking out Jesus. If you're here tonight, I'm imagining you're at least intrigued enough to come to a place like this. Some of you are at a place where you're sure you want to see Jesus or you know what he looks like and you want more of him because you know you're a bridge burner and you know you need a bridge builder. Um, but, he, but he looks at us and it can be, it can be hard to see that, that he's actually seeking us because you're like, well, then where is he? I've been praying for months. Where is he? My buddy's been praying for months and he never showed up or I have a friend who's been seeking God for years and he's still, he's not a, he's not a Christian. He doesn't, he, he doesn't want anything to do with it. Okay, Ben, where's, where's this passage now? Because it doesn't seem like God seeks many people. Because I got a long list of people who've been seeking him, and they hear nothing but silence. If that's where you are, or if that's where your friends are, I think the Bible has two sophisticated but very simple answers for you. The first is this. We need to check ourselves. That's what, um, what Jasmine read from Jeremiah 29 earlier. You will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. You heard of Bertrand Russell? He's a famous philosopher, famous atheist, and he famously or infamously said, when I get to heaven and look at God, I'm going to say to him, why didn't you give me more evidence? Bertrand Russell was never seeking God. I don't know what he was seeking, but if, if Bertrand Russell found the real God, it would have threatened him to his core. And he either would have left like the Pharisee saying, get away from me, God. Or he would have left like the the, the tax collector saying, he would have just dissolved in a puddle and said, have mercy on me. So the question is, are we seeking God with our whole hearts? Or is it this half-hearted, put my toe in the water, maybe a little here or there? Now, I'm going to come back to this in a second because you could say, well, thanks. You've given me a mind game the rest of my life to say, well, am I seeking him enough or not enough or 99% good enough or what? Here's the other thing. And I think this is much more important. Is the Jesus that you're seeking actually real? Is the God that you're after, the God that you've been praying to, the God that you want to do something in your life, does he even exist? Because you could be praying to like a God like all of the other religions of the world's gods, like the Mayan temples in the middle of the jungle where it's just a stone and you have to get its attention and you have to pray and, and do this religious song and dance to try to get the God to care for you. And you've got, to, you've got to work yourself into a tizzy trying to get the God that you're trying to get to pay attention to you to see you. And that is a life of death. I did that for like 24 years of my life. And I still fall back into that, trying to get God's attention. If we're trying to get God's attention, if we're trying to get God to seek us, I have the best news in the world for you. You've fallen back into seeking a God who's not there because the God who is is the God who seeks those who seeks us. Sorry, it's the God who seeks us. He pursues us. He chases us. And that's the, that's the God that Zacchaeus is beginning to awaken to. And life is beginning to come back into Zacchaeus's life as these bridges get rebuilt. These bridges get rebuilt between God and between uh, other neighbors. And so... Um, These are the things like, what does it look like for bridges to be starting to be rebuilt in our lives? Well, it looks kind of like the stuff in Zacchaeus' life. Maybe the Bible always seemed like the most boring, dusty, antiquated, irrelevant book in the world. And there came a point in your life, or maybe there's coming a point now, where you're like, this is the book that gets me. My my fears, my anxieties, my joys, my hopes, it nails me. in In the most beautiful way, it gets what life is like in my skin. And it doesn't leave me there. Or maybe church used to be like, why would I ever want to know these people? And now you're like, I need the church. Or or RUF or whatever. Y'all have stories like this. I hear your stories like this. That's what it looks like for, for the bridge builder to come and to look at the damage and get to work. The other thing that caused the change in Zacchaeus wasn't just what he was seeking changed. He begins to catch light of Jesus uh, he also begins, he begins to see Jesus, in a sense, in a whole new light. And I think the people who put this best and clarify this the best uh, is Mumford & Sons with the song, Roll Away Your Stone. Have you all ever listened to the lyrics carefully or seen them on paper? It's like the song was written for this passage. Absolutely beautiful. I'll read you a couple of, of verses uh, from the song. This is a song about a God who chases People who think it's just me chasing God, I'm depressed because I think it's, I'm doing all the work, I'm doing all the seeking, God's not doing seeking, this song kind of sets us back straight. It reminds us of what is true. You're not the only one seeking God. You don't seek God in a vacuum. You don't pray to a God who doesn't hear. The, the, the backdrop of you seeking God, as a Christian, as a non-Christian, whatever, the backdrop The context of every single fiber of seeking God is him seeking you. You're not just pursuing some religious trek. God's pursuing you. You're not just trying to wrap your head around him, trying to understand him. He understands you. You're not just trying to get his attention. He's getting your attention. That's the God who is. This is what Mumford and Sons, how they phrase it. He's talking to his buddy. He says, you told me that I would find a hole within the fragile substance of my soul. And I have filled this void with things unreal, right? Money, comfort, approval. And all the while, my character, it steals. Darkness is a harsh term, don't you think? And yet it dominates the things I seek. It seems that all my bridges have been burned, but you say that's exactly how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk that will change this heart but the welcome I receive with the restart. Did you catch the last line? It is not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with the restart. You can sum up every other way that mankind has conceived of getting to God. Any other religion, every other religion is a long walk home to God. Christianity is the God coming to you in Jesus. And so you can say the gospel is this. If religion is a long walk home, the gospel is welcome. Welcome itself running down the road to meet you. Grace himself running down the road to meet you. Prodigal son stuff, right? This guy's like, I'm really screwed up. I better go home and try to talk my dad back into showing grace to me. And he starts seeing a dust trail. Who's that? And he gets closer and closer. He's like, that's my dad. I thought I was seeking him I thought it was just me walking And he's running And when he gets to me, he's out of breath He's got sweat on his brow And he, he, he's like, shut up I don't want to hear your, your, your speech About why to embrace you He just puts his arms around him And he puts the family ring back on him It's not the long walk home That'll change your heart It's not the long seeking Don't leave here tonight and say I just need to seek more I just need to seek more Leave here tonight saying, God is seeking me. God is pursuing lost sheep. That will put some fire in your step as we begin to move towards him. Tim Keller says, Jesus is a door that leads to a long road, not a long road that leads to a door. Jesus is a door that leads to a long road called the Christian life, not a long road that eventually one day maybe leads to a door. That's the difference that we're trying to get at. And as we wrap this thing up, that's the picture of what begins to get in deep into Zacchaeus' heart because he had all his life thought that God was a God that's only accessible to the religious people, to the Pharisees, the people who are really good at seeking God, who are really, really diligent, really disciplined. The people who have their quiet times every morning on the dot. And so there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, Jesus might have come for sinners, but not my kind of sinner. Not people like me. And so Jesus is more than happy to go to the people who think they're disqualified from grace. He seems to spend most of his ministry bumping off those groups. He's like, you people seem to, I'm going to leave you guys alone real quick. And I'm going to go to this group and this group and this group and this group. Because those are the very people who never think I'd have anything to do with them. And again, if you know Jesus, if you've known Jesus for 15 years, this is Luke saying to you, which God are you in a relationship with? Christians, which God have you kind of slid into believing as the real God? The God who's just a dead pyramid in Egypt. He's just dead rocks, and it's all your work. Or is it the God on a move, walking through towns and villages, gathering up his people to himself? Is it a God who, when you get stuck, when you're like the dead stone stuck there, comes and picks you up, meets you where you are, like Justin said last week, meets you in the darkness. Does your God have feet? Or are your feet tired because you believe that God doesn't have feet, he's just stuck somewhere? So this passage, Luke kind of grabs us by the shoulder, he says, are you you chasing the right God? Do you see Jesus chasing you, seeking you, pursuing you? Jesus says as much. The Son of Man came To seek after, chase, hunt down the lost and to rescue them. Do you hear that? He says it all over the rest of the gospel. We've talked about it a lot this fall. If we lose sight of this, we slide back. The gospel, Christianity, RUF, the Christian life, just a long walk. How exhausting is that? How depressing is that? when we have to pretend to be joyful because there's no joy in our lives, we have to pretend to have energy because we're absolutely weary because we haven't seen God and I don't remember when or I haven't seen him after me. Luke is saying, open your eyes. This is the only God who exists and he's a God who runs after his people. The last thing I want to point out very quickly is this. Jesus restores and builds bridges from you to God. He restores bridges from you to God and he restores bridges between you and each other. And this is why we talk a lot about community here because part of Jesus's agenda in your life isn't just fixing you and God. He is restoring a new humanity. He's restoring a new community. And how do we know that? Because Jesus doesn't say to Zacchaeus, you're a son of Abraham now. Jesus says it to the mocking crowd. Hey, pipe down. He also is a son of Abraham. And he says, salvation, Zacchaeus, has come to your house today. You see, the bridge is rebuilt through Jesus, through what he does on the cross, through the bridge being burned, in a sense, between Jesus and his father. Jesus builds bridges between you and God again, bridges that will hold the weight of your life, hold anything that comes your way. And he begins also, the news is better, to build bridges between you and other people. What does that look like? Well, walking across the bridges that Jesus builds between you and others looks like repentance. It looks like faith. It looks like confession. It looks like, I am so sorry. I've been telling stories about you to try to neutralize you because you threatened me. Would you please have mercy on me? Would you forgive me? Would you overlook that? I'm sorry for the pain I've caused you. Or it looks like boyfriends to girlfriends, girlfriends to boyfriends, people to your roommates. I'm sorry I love comfort more than I've ever loved a human being. And I know it's burned you. Forgive me and pray for me because I need help. That's what restoration looks like. Resources start coming back into your life. Life blossoms in the city again when the bridges get rebuilt. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this is the work you're committed to doing in our lives and in the community. We thank you that though you say all the time things like seek me while I may be found and seek first the kingdom of heaven and seek me, follow me. Help us to understand that we are to seek you. Yes, we are to, to move towards you, but never while losing sight that you made the first move. You're the one who seeks us and so we are able to seek you. You pursue us and so we're able to pursue you. You move near to us and so we're able little by little to move near to you. Uh, We pray that you would uh, work this out in our lives and change us for your own pleasure and your own glory.